Hi, I'm, a, I'm Dennis. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus, and I'm in this ministry uh, for my anxiety, anger, and substance abuse. Hi, in August of 1981, I was born into what appeared to be a typical uh, successful family. My four sisters and two brothers lived with us in Henderson, Nevada. When I was very young, my parents were arrested and our family was ripped apart. This, was, this would start a chain of events that would shape most of my life, leaving me unable to feel with a, with a severe anxiety disorder, extreme rage, and tons of trust issues. My brothers and sisters were able to either live with their <laughs> sorry, either live with their own father or they were able to go to college. Uh, but I was very young and had nowhere to go. I got my first taste of loneliness and abandonment. I was scared, sad, and alone. I didn't know what, where my parents were, and no one was telling me what happened. After getting picked up by my sisters and their father from the center where I had been placed, I bounced around while living uh, in homes of many relatives that I had never met. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had already started uh, to stuff my feelings and manipulate situations. I would act out vandalizing, smoking cigarettes, and then I would play the pity card. The truth is, I wasn't allowing myself to feel. I also started to realize that I had to do everything for myself because people couldn't be trusted. They would leave me at a drop of a hat. I finally reunited with my parents in Hawaii where they were released from prison and we lived in a small hotel room. This time in my life seemed to be happy, but my parents, <laughs> but my parents were, uh, parents and I were back together and there seemed to be no problems. We didn't talk about what happened or why my brothers and sisters were no longer living with us and why the three of us were living in such a small room. I picked up or packed up all of my questions, concerns, worries into a small box deep inside my mind. My parents and I moved around a few more times until we finally uh, moved to Santa Clarita Valley in the late 80s. It was there that I first remember becoming aware of my father's anger. My mom and dad would fight or have huge fights, and he was verbally abusive, very loud during those fights. He would leave immediately afterwards, and when he would come back, he would expect things to be all better. I know that he loved me, but he also cut down my self-worth through his anger and disappointment. He would be harshly critical of me, and he would use both verbal and physical punishment. I remember thinking to myself, maybe my parents would be better off if I just left, or if I just died. Then in 1993, my dad died of a heart attack and an aneurysm at the same time. I didn't react to his passing. I didn't know what to feel, so I didn't feel anything. Another big event happened in my life, and I was stuffing my feelings again. As I started my high school years, my mom worked as much as she could. I knew about God, but that was about it. Even though the church that we were attending during that time helped provide food when we couldn't afford it, I didn't give God a second thought. I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, smoking pot, and on a regular basis. I ended up getting a job at a print shop, and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough to help my mom with the finances a bit and to support my progressing habits. I learned to take advantage of people around me. I felt it was my right to do what I wanted, 
and took no ownership of my actions. I quickly moved on to harder drugs and started drinking alcohol every day. I didn't care about the physical damage that I could be causing my body or realize how bad I was feeling on the inside. My substance abuse was at an all-time high, though I was maintaining a full-time job and going to college. After an incident at work, I quit my job and school on the same day. My new mission in life was to stay home where I could use and sell drugs all day. But it turns out that I make a horrible drug dealer because I would just use all my supply. <laughs> this, this change in my lifestyle helped me to isolate as much as I wanted. Around this time, an old friend of mine uh, became a father, and he was excited to tell me, so he came over to my house. He brought his longtime friend and ex-girlfriend with him. Little did I know that he would be introducing me into some, uh, to somebody uh, so pivotal in my life. She was beautiful, smart, great to hang out with, and best of all, she shared my love of substances. We talked for hours about almost anything, and we stayed in my apartment 24-7. Hi, I'm a follower of Christ um, in recovery from chemical abuse, low self-esteem, and a critical spirit, and my name is Liz. I was born in March of 1980 to a good family. When I was an infant, people were shooting guns in the air as a celebration of the new year. The next morning, my mother awoke to find a bullet next to my little head in the crib. Another inch, and this would be an entirely different story. It's just the first of many times that God saved my life from a tragedy. My parents are both good people who tried to do their best to do the right thing for my brother and myself. We lived in a nice neighborhood, and we went to a private Catholic school. I don't really remember ever talking about God or Jesus outside of school and church, but I think that my parents felt that a religious upbringing was really important. In third grade, my cousin who went to the same school started picking on me and calling me names. The other kids followed suit, and from that point on, I have very few memories of my early schooling that are not connected to being picked on. The names and attitudes followed me year after year, and the kids started calling me fat and ugly. The boys would bark at me in the hallway. At some point, the dialogue in my head adopted the words of my tormentors, and I believed that I was fat and ugly. In junior high, I switched to a, a bigger school, and I was able to make more than one or two friends. I had always excelled at school, and in high school, I took honors and AP classes, and I joined the ASB. I did have happy times, and I enjoyed my classes and my friends, but inside, I was always looking for something. I was looking for love and affection. I found that in my first boyfriend. We would sneak around and we would make out, heavy petting as it used to be called, but I was a Catholic schoolgirl, so I knew how far was too far, and I knew what a horrible sex, uh, sin sex was. When he broke up with me for another girl, I was crushed, but we still remained friends because I thought I loved him. Soon after, I found a crowd who liked me, who wanted to be my friends, and I started to do anything to fit in with them. They liked to drink and they liked to smoke cigarettes, and I was willing to join. Around this time, I met an older guy who was 27 to my 17. Not long into our relationship, he forced himself on me. He told me we should continue because the sin was already done once it started when I had asked him to stop. Then he took me home. I woke the next morning and I was angry. I called it off with him and I never saw him again. I did not have an understand or understand a relationship with God, but I definitely knew that he was mad at me and I was probably going to hell. Um, I went with my friend to the former boyfriend 
I went to my friend, the former boyfriend, and I threw myself at him. I wanted to erase my first experience, and at least got, this guy meant something to me. I spent the next several years confusing sex with love and sleeping around, figuring that I may as well because I had messed up too much to go to heaven anyways. I graduated from high school with honors, and I went on to college on a full scholarship, but all I could see was being wanted, being loved, being desired, fitting in. I barely ever went to class. All I did was sleep around with anyone who would give me attention and drink and experiment with any drug that would come my way. I dropped out of college and I just kept going. Around that time, I met my husband and we made immediate plans to party together. The first few weeks we were together, we were never apart. I didn't go home. After those first few weeks, we decided we were destined for each other and I moved in with no warning to my parents. In fact, him moving me out of their house is how he met my parents. We got engaged just a couple weeks after we met. Uh, most everyone thought that we were making a mistake. We knew we were in love, at least what we understood love to be. Soon after, we found out that Liz was expecting our first child, and we moved in with my in-laws. Uh, this was a difficult time because I kept losing jobs, using drugs, and fighting with my wife. It bothered me that I wasn't providing for my family in the heat of an argument with my wife, I walked away and joined the Navy. So the military provided me with strict rules and regulations. It was just what I needed to get moving into what seemed the right direction. Before I left boot camp, I stopped using all drugs and minimized my drinking. The whole experience was a culture shock. It was lonely for me, and I missed my family. From the moment that I landed on the flight deck, I felt lost and confused. Iraqi freedom had just started the same day that I had arrived. There was all kinds of flight ops, people everywhere, and bombs dropping. During that deployment, I ended up getting kidney stones. The Navy's answer to my pain was to throw pills at it. So I started taking them according to the prescription, but soon I found another way to rejuvenate my drug addiction and to hide from my situation and my emotions. It got worse when I got home because I started adding hard alcohol to the mix. I was spending more time in my own negative thoughts while simultaneously not dealing with any of my emotions. Since my wife was the one person that I was closest to, I unleashed my suppressed anger and bitterness on her. I would say just about anything to be spiteful and to end an argument as quick as possible. I would release my rage in waves of loud rants and physical fits. I would punch holes in the wall, break things, but worst of all, there were times when I would push, hold down, and hit my wife. I had become an extreme version of my dad. It was hard for me to comprehend my actions and the consequences that followed, so I firmly put my mask of denial on and I kept going with my substance abuse. But in 2004, I stopped doing all drugs, by, but my alcohol consumption had continued. I remember feeling completely alone during this time. I was so sick, I remember thinking that I can just love him through this and somehow he will change. But I never tried to actually change anything. I didn't admit that the drugs and alcohol might be part of the problem, and I certainly refused to admit that I played any part in our fights. In fact, I used his rage to justify anything I said or did, and because he was worse, I didn't feel like I had to apologize for any of it. 
Eventually, the raging became something that only happened sometimes as opposed to often. We spent the next many years in this cycle of a loving family on the outside with raging drunks on the um, inside behind closed doors. In 2006, I got pregnant with our second child and managed to stop the drugs and drinking while I was pregnant again. But not long after she was born, I began drinking again. By the time she was two, drinking was a daily habit for us. We moved to San Diego into military housing and we found a community that really celebrated drinking. The cycle continued and we thought we were pretty happy. I thought I was pretty happy. I was a mom, a wife, a Navy wife, and a heavy drinker. I didn't really think about myself in any other terms and I was living my life through my family. The kids, they were all my only focus, my God, in many ways. It was a lot for them to live up to. Uh, to. The kids couldn't be perfect enough for me and I was constantly in fear of them getting hurt or something happening to them. I hovered over them and I never let them do things that a lot of normal kids like to do, like learning to swim or riding a bike. Part of me was being afraid and wanting to protect or control them, and the other part was that I was hungover and I couldn't be bothered. Whatever it was, I needed to and demanded them to be far more perfect than I was, and it extended to my husband too. He along with the girls were responsible for my every happiness. It sounds awful to say it, but it is how it was. They, of course, couldn't live up to that burden, so I drank. I drank to celebrate, I drank to drown my sorrows, I drank to get over fights, I drank to alleviate boredom. Every day, there was a reason to drink. Eventually, Dennis got out of the Navy and we moved back to the Santa Clarita Valley into my parents' house with us, my parents, my brother, and his fiance. Four adults and four children in a four-bedroom house. It was tense, and our addictions were not the only ones who lived in that house. Everyone brought baggage and hurts and habits that clashed. There was a lot of arguing. I brought a lot of hurts and resentments that I had no idea I held. I just thought I didn't get along with my family, that they didn't like me. Uh, to escape, we of course drank. We also spent as much time away from the house as we possibly could. Shortly after separating from the Navy, I fell into long periods of anxiety, high anxiety. I ignored the signs that my constant alcohol abuse may have anything to do with it. I learned at school that if I stay busy, my mind is occupied and the anxiety is not as rough. That is why I decided, to, or that is when I decided to get a job. I worked and it kept the triggers at bay, allowing me to function. Finally, my family and I were able to move out of my in-laws and out of their house and into our own apartment. This seemed like a happy time. I was working, going to school, and I was able to maintain everything, all while drinking ridiculous amounts every night. I started to notice that there was something wrong with my wife when she started eating tiny portions or not eating at all. Her food consumption was at a bare minimum, and she slept all day. I would mention my concerns to her, but then it always ended up in a fight. I acted like it was not as bad as I thought, and we still were able to hang out and drink like normal, so everything was fine, until it wasn't. One morning, after a long night of drinking, we dropped off our kids at school and we went over to my mother-in-law's house. That is when my mother-in-law pointed out that my wife was yellow. It turns out that, or I told her that we need to go to the hospital, and she started arguing with me. Finally. Uh, her mom and I were able to convince her to go, and we rushed over. I was diagnosed with alcoholic liver disease, um, liver cirrhosis, in 2013 at the age of 33. 
I spent a number of days in the hospital and Dennis went home and cleared the apartment of any remnant of alcohol and drinking. That was the day I got sober and it's been more than three and a half years since I had my last drink. The drinking was how I managed my emotions though, so I was really miserable. I had no medical insurance, so I got weaker and more swollen until I was pretty much bedridden. I was walk, uh, walking with a walker, and I couldn't go more than 20 feet without needing to sit and rest. My husband would have to lift my legs into the bed for me because they were too heavy for me to lift on my own. I really hated my life. I was a burden, and I did wish I had just died. After nine months of this, my medical insurance finally came through and I was again hospitalized. This time I came out with a good treatment plan, but I thought I was going to die before it ever happened. With two months of within two months of surviving that hospitalization, I had lost 160 pounds in fluid retention from the diuretics that they gave me. I could move and I could walk again. There were three more times that I drank. On the last occasion, I drank far too much and I passed out. I woke up to my wife in tremendous pain. I drank so much that I could not drive her to the emergency room. I never wanted to be in that situation again, so that day was the day that I vowed that I would never drink again, and that was over two and a half years ago. <laughs> After that hospital visit, my wife was doing better, and we were completely sober and starting to live our life again. Still, there was something missing. It was the same every day, except for one added bonus of my car breaking down every week in the same shopping, uh, shopping market parking lot. Uh, one of those days, uh, when my car broke down as usual, uh, we were waiting for the tow truck and my wife and I were talking. She pointed out there was a church in that parking lot and she said, we should go check it out. I was stoked to do anything with her and the kids outside of the house, so I said, sure. I had felt drawn to church several times over the years, but I never found a place that I felt good at, and I never understood that it, wasn't, that it was not about the ritual and the religion, but it was about the relationship. So we went, and I cried like a baby. Through the whole worship, I just wept. It was a massive wave of feeling, and I didn't really understand it. There was also a video of a man who had lived a life much like ours with his family, and they said they found this ministry where people didn't care that they had been messed up, but where they loved them anyways. It seemed, they seemed genuine, and they piqued my curiosity, but I was still pretty sure that I wasn't going to find that same kind of acceptance. For the first time ever, I felt home in a church. Uh, then I saw a bumper for this ministry, and my wife said, Let's check it out. So I said, sure. <laughs> a good friend of mine stated in a testimony uh, not too long ago, he said, God has a tendency to speak to us men through our wives. And that is so true. So that Friday, we showed up early, of course, because anyone who knows Dennis knows that early is on time and on time is late. So... <laughs> Um, he asked if, that, if he could help the barbecue guys, and he was immediately welcomed in. It seemed like a good place with nice people. I often got the feeling that the pastor knew way too much about me. I cried in Newcomers 101 with, with the Skip Kai's video, and I cried every Friday and every Sunday for about a month until one day we showed up on a Sunday morning and they called for baptisms. I was on my feet without even thinking about it. 
I had only ever seen sprinkles, so this immersion experience was all new. And we just decided to come back. I started meeting people, and I was interested in meeting others. And, but I was still controlling my own destiny at that point and trying to force things into place. It wasn't until I began my first step study that I took the step to surrender to God, and I actually began to hand over the reins. I realized that things will happen in their own time and forcing relationships isn't healthy and it only led me to being less authentic and making dumb choices to fit in. Looking at my choices and feelings in black and white allowed me to see how much I was controlled by my resentments and my hurts. I allowed things that had happened years earlier to color how I saw every person and every situation I was in now. This was true in all areas of my life, but especially in my family of origin. I needed to accept my family for who they are, and I needed to learn to see them through the eyes of Christ. I prayed about that often, and I nailed their names to the cross more than one time. I begged God to help me see them the way he does and to erase the bitterness I had developed, in many cases from nothing more than unrealistic expectations that were left unfulfilled. He slowly transformed my mind. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's my life verse because the things I feel and experience now are completely different from, the bef from before I began to follow Christ, and it is because of how God transformed my mind and my thoughts. A few months after my first step study ended, I began a new one, and in going through the questions, I was able to see exactly how deep this transformation was. Where resentments once cri crippled me, I realized they no longer mattered. Where I once bought bitterness and unfulfilled expectations into every encounter, I now found compassion and acceptance. God even sent people who knew my actual family of origin to tell me stories and to remind me of forgotten character traits and pieces of them that my heart and my hurt had blinded me to. He truly transformed the way that I saw them and the way I saw myself. Serving on the barbecue team, I started to feel like I actually belonged. Despite my anxiety and the fact that I didn't really talk, I felt comfortable or more comfortable than I had in years. Uh, there is no judgment, and there was no judgment. Uh, working alongside the team opened my eyes to serve, and I started serving every chance I got. I got baptized at the same time as my oldest daughter and my wife. My old self would be shocked by the fact that I'm all in. The sense of community and fellowship that I have found here is unlike anything I've ever experienced. Through step study, I have a better understanding of myself and my own relationship with God. I have learned to, I have learned to take ownership, hold on, ownership of my own faults as well as experience or express my emotions in a healthy, healthy, safe way. Uh, with, my with the accountability of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I have learned to trust others. This truly is a family. Despite having my back turned on God for most of my life, he loves me for who I am, not the mistakes I've made. Jesus filled the hole in my life that I, have been, that I had been trying to fill for most of my, uh, since I was a young child. I am saved by his sacrifice and his unending grace. Even when I didn't know it, God was pursuing me. God has always been by my side during tragedy and victory. He has guided my every move, even when my eyes were closed to his blessings. God loved me enough to let me fall in order to open my eyes 
to his truth. Things are still difficult at times, and we are no, by no means a finished product, but I find refuge and solace in the arms of a father who always forgives, and he allows me to try again. I've been blessed with a second chance at life, and my family has blessed with, been blessed with a new way to live. I don't feel the need to micromanage every aspect of our lives anymore, and I've been able to allow my children to grow and explore in ways they would have never imagined. They even learned how to swim. So, <laughs> I have watched this church family embrace and encourage my children and my husband as well. So, we'd like to introduce you to our daughters. Um, there is Jessamine and Gwendolyn, and they're going to tell you about their experience. Hello. <laughs> um, before I came to Jesus, I was a slacker who had anger building up and was bound to explode at any minute. Um, I was doing awful at school, and I got worse every year. By the time I was in seventh grade, I had straight D's in every class, and my anger began to show. Uh, I had gotten in the habit of having random outbursts and taking everything out on the people around me. My parents used to be so much more mean and controlling. We had good times before, but not as good as now. In my mind, I tried to rationalize my actions by trying to blame it on the stuff my parents did and the things that happened in the past. Now that I found Jesus, I'm doing amazing in school. Um, I have straight A's, and I'm top three if I have a class. <laughs> I am also learning how to manage and control my outbursts and how I act towards people. Our family is doing so much better now. While things got really hard and weren't the greatest for a while, I wouldn't change anything that happened for the world because that's what led us to where we are now. It led us to Jesus, it led us to my forever family, and things are great. <laughs> do you want to hold, me to hold you and say it, or do you want, want to read it? Gwendolyn is very nervous, so I'm going to read it for her. Before we found Jesus, I was very shy. I was scared when my mom was sick. I didn't get to do a lot of things, and I held back because I was shy. Since we came to church, I am less shy. I try new things all the time, and I was even the worship leader at the kids' ministry in this ministry. I feel like I get to have a lot more fun now, and I've made a lot of friends here, and I feel at home with the family here at church. Okay. Okay. So, uh, after we had been coming to uh, this ministry for a while, uh, and to church, my mom decided to join us. Uh, she has always been a Christian and has had uh, decided to come with us in order to support us uh, ever since we started our walk. So. Okay. Wow. Well, okay. uh, yeah. Oh, hi. My name is Linda, and I'm a faithful believer of Jesus Christ our Lord, and I am in recovery for inner hurts and codependency. Hi. Many of you know me as the mother of Dennis and Liz and the grandmother of Jessa and Gwendolyn. 
and I'm proud to acknowledge that association. But I also have four other children and their spouses, and I am Grandma Linda to 12 grandchildren. They're ranging from nine to 25 years of age. <laughs> I accepted the Lord and was baptized at the tender age of eight, and that was 63 years ago. Okay, I didn't get this old without making a lot of mistakes, okay, without sinning. From adultery to welfare fraud, time in prison to writing songs and doing voiceovers for adult movies, I'm guilty. Uh, everyone has a chapter that they don't want to read out loud. I got many, okay, but that's for another night and my personal testimony. Tonight is about miracles and the power of prayer. Prayer is the best medicine, and God is the best doctor. Amen? Amen. I have been living with cancer for all of my adult life. I call myself a greenhouse for cancer. <laughs> it's true. At 21, I lost my first child the doctors found presence of cancer in my uterus. They doubted that to be able to carry a baby full term. Prayer kicked in, I wanted to be a mom. I gave birth five times. Seven years ago, I discovered a lump in my breast. Within five weeks, I had three operations. The last surgery, being a mastectomy on my left breast. My son was on his last tour of the Navy, and his wife was there for me. Every minute, Liz cared for me. She knows the power of prayer, and she was my angel. I prayed. I prayed heavily, daily for my son and my daughter-in-law and my granddaughters. And I refuse to give up because I'm a positive person. My cup is always full. Miracles happen every day. I came to celebrate recovery to support my son and his family. Now, the first evening, the pastor said, CR is not for everyone. Only attend if you want to get well. <laughs> I did a double take on that one. What? <laughs> then one night at Sierra, the pastor gave his testimony, and he said that he forgave the man who had molested him as a child, and I cried. It was also the night of nailing names to the cross. I thought about my mom, and if Bill could forgive that man, I could forgive my mother. And I nailed her name to the cross, and shortly thereafter, I joined a step study. I've got some wonderful step study sisters out there. A year ago, I was rushed to Henry Mail for an emergency surgery due to diverticulitis. Cancer cells lined the intestine wall, and it literally, it blew bacteria throughout me, and I almost died. Dennis and Liz were constantly there with me. The pastor, <laughs> Pastor Bill came to pray for me, and I saw a cloud and his shining 
smiling face looking at me. And I thought he was God. I called the nurse in. I thought he came down from heaven. God came down from heaven to personally escort me to heaven. I was thrilled. <laughs> well, that's the truth. <laughs> it <totally> happens. <laughs> yes. Now, I lived, and I was able to stay in a step study. And I worked to catch up with my step study sisters. Another answer to my prayers. I am now waiting for the next step study to begin, and the journey will continue. On September 29th this past year, I had a five-hour surgery with three specialists. The bag, colostomy bag, was removed. My plumbing was reversed. Hernias repaired. Appendix and part of my small intestine removed. No more bag and no active cancer cells. So my surgeon, he can't get over my condition about me being alive. <laughs> he actually asked me to pray for him, so I did that. Seriously, we are not in control. God is. All the worrying in the world won't change things. I was in a win-win situation each time throughout my life. If I live, I win. And if I go to live with God, I win. You can't go wrong. A year ago, I gave up smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. I wanted to set an example for my granddaughters, but now I'm glad I did it for me. And I'm thrilled every time I look at my son and his wonderful family. And I thank you, dear Lord, by the grace of God, the Mansfield family is here. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Right there. Our house is mostly calm these days. It's nearly always joyful. Then that's things that didn't used to describe our home. We still disagree sometimes, but things aren't nearly as explosive, and we have learned to express ourselves in healthy ways. With God as the center to our marriage, we have been able to overcome resentments and learn to truly value and respect each other, which allows us to enjoy each other even more. And this value and respect extends to our children and our other family as well. We recently renewed our vows to love and honor each other in front, of our, in front of this family and to welcome the accountability from our forever family to keep God as the head of our life and to seek him always together. Uh, if you are a newcomer, welcome and keep coming back. My recommendation is to stay outside of your comfort zone because if you are uncomfortable, you are in the right place. You're right where God wants you to be. He can use you to do more than you can imagine. Allow the people here to walk alongside you and go to groups, do a step study, and serve. Things don't change overnight, but they can change because Jesus can heal all wounds. My life verse is Philippians 4.6, which reads, do not be anxious but about, about anything, <laughs> but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
He will stand with you in the fire and give you strength and peace that you will never believe is possible. And to the newcomers, I would say just keep coming as well. Know that the Lord works if and when you let him, but it's not a magic pill. It is a process that requires your participation. Allow this family to walk with you as you seek a new life in Jesus. We really do mean it when we say we are a forever family, and we really do accept and agree to walk alongside you from wherever you are. I love the verse Isaiah 43, 18-19, which says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This has been true in our lives. Transformation is possible. Once God transformed how I saw people and things, my whole life changed, and the way I experienced it became something new and better than I could have ever imagined. Thank you all for letting us share.